Welcome to episode four of the Reorg Covenant podcast. I'm Peter Washkowitz, and I'm here with Dan Nikolic, who just this week became one of Long Island Railroad's newest commuters. Hey, Dan, I hope this summer of hell that I've been reading so much about at Penn Station has just been hyperbole. Way to throw me into the fire, Peter. Knock on wood, the LIR hasn't been so bad yet. I have no idea about other lines, though. Certainly hope that none of our listeners are listening stranded on a train, though. Can you believe this is our fourth episode already? I feel like it was just yesterday that you and I were sitting here doing our first podcast together. How time flies, Peter. Well, anyway, on on today's episode, as with previous episodes, we're going to briefly review some of the more recent pieces that we've put out based on recent announcements by some of the companies we cover. And then I'll talk about Tops Friendly Markets, and Dan's going to talk about Rite Aid, or as I like to call it, the pharmacy place that has the long lines, few cashiers, and long rows of unmanned cash registers. Peter, before doing that, with the earnings season about to get into full swing, I just wanted to highlight a feature of Reorg Covenant's product that uh, many of our subscribers find very useful. As companies we cover announce their quarterly earnings, we typically update some of our past pieces on those companies to account for the newly disclosed financials. So be sure to look out for our updated pieces as earnings become available. I sure will, Dan. On to the news. Last week, Halcon announced that it had entered into agreements to sell its Williston assets for $1.4 billion dollars which it would use to fully redeem its second lien notes and 50% of its outstanding 2025 notes. In connection with the sale, the company entered into a support agreement with certain holders of the 2025 notes, which will allow the Williston sale and will amend the indenture to loosen asset sale mandatory prepayment requirements. We wrote about the transaction and the proposed changes to the indenture. Also last week, Dynagy announced that it would sell $300 million of assets with the proceeds applied towards debt prepayments. We wrote a piece about the prepayment mandatory provisions in Dynagy's debt documents. And on to news with Sears. Uh, Sears recently amended its second lien credit agreement, which amended the agreement to conform to similar changes that the company made to its first lien credit agreement. And these amendments included changes to the asset sale mandatory prepayment requirement, the definition of permanent dispositions, as well as amendments to the investments negative covenant. We wrote a piece which detailed many of these notable changes to the second agreement um, recently, and we also covered the changes to the first lien agreement some time ago. And then we're recording this as of Thursday morning, and this morning Sears just also announced that it'd be selling the Kenmore brand on Amazon, and I think the Sears Sears, uh, stock prices have really moved based on that news. Uh, With JCPenney, JCPenney recently announced that it amended its ABL facility to, among other things, improve pricing, add additional debt and investments flexibility, and add certain other borrower-friendly terms. We also wrote a piece on the JCPenney that uh, detailed these amended terms. And finally, Bristow recently announced that one of its subsidiaries entered into a $230 million term loan facility with proceeds being used to repay outstanding debt under Bristow's existing credit agreements. Again, we wrote a piece discussing Bristow's secure debt capacity uh, pro forma for this new financing. And then I think Peter's going to discuss TOPS now. Yep. So while most people are probably familiar with Whole Foods, Stu Leonard's, or one of a number of local supermarkets, or if they're very lucky, Publix, Many people in upstate New York and northern Virginia are probably more familiar with Tops Friendly Markets. It's a very local supermarket, and Rio Covenants just picked up coverage of Tops, which until recently had a somewhat complex capital structure, especially given its relatively small size. At the beginning of last week, Tops Holding 2 Corp, which is the whole co of the company's entire capital structure, had been the issuer of about $86 million of senior unsecured notes due 2018. 
Two of the Holdco's operating subsidiaries were issuers of certain senior secure notes due 2022, and two other operating subsidiaries were borrowers under an ABL facility that included a $10 million first in, last out term loan. So essentially, the top tops company has issued debt, and some of its subsidiaries have also issued debt. Correct. And then are these Holdco structures common? I wouldn't say they're common, although certainly Holco structures are nothing are nothing new. A number of companies that Reorg Covenants covers, including J. Crew, Intelsat, and Affineon, have had or currently have Holco structures. Anyways, in the past few earnings calls for the company, there had been questions about the Holco notes, and the company and the company's management continually reiterated their focus on dealing with the notes. Finally, last Tuesday, the company announced that the secure note issuers would be issuing new unsecured notes that, together with cash that they had on hand, they would use to exchange for the outstanding Holco notes. Ah, so two of the Holco's operating subs are refinancing the Holco notes, basically. Dan, Dan, not so fast. The important thing to understand with these structures is that the cash that the Holco issuers use to service their notes usually comes from upstream dividends and other cash payments from their operating subsidiaries. Typically, these dividends will constitute restricted payments and usually are subject to restricted payment covenants included in the company's debt documents. Here, given the secured note issuers are also issuing debt, the transactions would probably also need to comply with the debt covenants. So while the end result of this transaction will you know, resemble a refinancing, given the, given the OPCO debt will be replacing the Holco debt, it technically isn't a pure refinancing. Now, under the indenture governing, governing the secured notes, the new unsecured notes, as well as the dividends of the proceeds to Holco, weren't an issue. The indenture explicitly permitted issuers to refinance the Holco notes and specifically, explicitly allowed them to also send the proceeds of the, ref- of the debt up to Holco. I guess that wasn't the case under the ABL then, though. Dan, it's like you have a sixth sense or are reading off a script. Anyway. No script here, <laughs> Anyway, under the ABL, the company is permitted to incur debt and make RPs as long as it can satisfy this so-called payment condition, which requires that either after giving effect to a debt incurrence or a payment, the company's availability under its revolver is projected by the company to be at least $38 million. The actual provision is based on a percentage, but just for ease of listening, we've, we've calculated that amount. So they need to have availability under the revolver of about $38 million for the next seven months or uh, both at the time of and following the debt or payment, the availability is projected to be at least $23 million for the next seven months, and the company can meet a one-times interest coverage test. Notably, the company disclosed in its most recent queue that availability under the ABL was $18.2 million. Given the company can't meet this payment condition today, I was curious how the company figured it could somehow incur the new notes and dividend the proceeds to Holco, and somehow satisfy the payment conditions for the next seven months. Right, this sounds vaguely familiar to me. It sounds familiar because we had been discussing it last week. Oh yeah. Anyway, after our discussion, I think we both agreed that the projection requirement is essentially illusory. There's no requirement that the projections be reasonable, nor that they even turn out to be correct. Essentially, as long as the company says that it projects it will meet the payment condition, no matter how implausible it may be, then the payment conditions will be deemed satisfied under the revolver. 
And in the end of the, at the end of the day, the redemption of the Holko note is likely permitted under the revolver based on projections that likely will turn out to be fairly inaccurate. So it's just this is another example of either very loose drafting and whether intentional or unintentional, this loose drafting can lead to you know these odd circumstances where any reasonable person, these projections probably can't be met, but under the literal terms of the agreement, they can. So I thought it was an interesting situation. Anyway, moving on to our next name, Dan, you're going to be covering Rite Aid. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to use Rite Aid, CVS, Dwayne Reed, and Walgreens kind of interchangeably to refer to the nearest pharmacy by my house. So just to be clear, you're actually talking about Rite Aid now, right? Funny you should say that. So I used to go to a CVS that closed down, changed to a Walgreens, and then I moved and used a Dwayne Reed and moved again, and now I'm using a Rite Aid. Fortunately, though, we're not here to discuss my preferences for pharmacies, but rather we're here to discuss covenants, particularly covenants in Rite Aid's death documents. But isn't Rite Aid a Walgreens company? I, I, I thought Walgreens had announced that it was acquiring Rite Aid. Or is that a Dwayne Reed? How are you so good at telling these companies apart? Well, it's really not that hard, Peter. Dwayne Reed is a subsidiary of Walgreens, but CVS is its own company. And Rite Aid is its own company. But yes, it recently announced a failed merger uh, plans with Walgreens. So wait, so what's next for Rite Aid then if the merger plans with Walgreens failed? Well, Peter, I guess as you told our listeners in our last podcast, Rite Aid disclosed that it entered into an asset sale agreement where Walgreens is going to buy about 2,000 stores and three distribution centers for a purchase price of about $5 billion. I think the idea here is that such a transaction might be more likely to hold up against regulatory scrutiny. Thanks for clearing that up. I, I always kind of enjoyed shopping at Walgreens a lot more than Rite Aid. Anyway, that's a large amount of, of money for a large amount of Rite Aid stores. What does the company plan to do with the proceeds? The company recently disclosed a presentation that included certain, uh, included certain pro forma EBITDA estimates adjusted for the proposed sale. In that presentation, the company said it estimated interest expense, uh, assuming that its 2023, 2027, and 2028 notes would remain outstanding, with assumingly the rest of the company's debt being paid off with proceeds from the sale. I think the company said something like $4.9 billion of net proceeds will be used to pay down debt. So if the company's debt would go from about um, $7.4 billion to about $2.5 billion or less, and as disclosed, only the 2023, 2027, 2028 notes would likely remain outstanding. But the company has other guaranteed notes ranking parity with the 2023 notes, right? How can they target certain series like that? I mean, I, I, I tend to think that asset sale covenants would require pro rata paydowns of parity debt, right? It is so weird how you suddenly know so much about Rite Aid's debt structure, Peter. But yes, oftentimes asset sale covenants and notes will require pro rata paydowns of pari basu debt um, as part of an exception to the asset sale covenant. And in fact, as we discussed in a piece earlier this month, Rite Aid's guaranteed notes actually do include these provisions. Generally, the guaranteed notes include asset sale covenants preventing asset sales, but there's a broad exception if certain conditions are met, including that proceeds are used according to certain specified uses. These uses permit repayments of any secured debt, but generally they require pro rata uh, repayments of any unsecured debt, like the guaranteed notes. Wait, so you aren't making any sense. How could the covenants require that when the company disclosed it is assuming that the 2023 notes will remain outstanding? Yeah, great question. So I think it has to do with uh, certain other factors at play here, which we discussed in another piece this week. Interestingly, the pro rata repayment requirement in the notes only requires prepayment offers at par. Meanwhile, the company's notes generally trade around par or even slightly above par. So that sort of leads to a situation where the note holders may not want to take an asset sale offer, even though the company is required to make an asset sale offer to note holders. 
And then, you know, on top of this, you have the note that the notes have certain make whole provisions or and or call schedules um, where where, you know, certain of the notes have much cheaper call uh, schedules where the 2023 notes actually have a more expensive call structure. Not to mention that the 2023 notes basically have a make call until uh, the middle of 2018. So I guess taken together, sort of all these factors suggest that all of the guaranteed notes may um, reject any asset sale offers at par, sort of leaving the company to potentially freely use proceeds to address nearer-term maturities with less costly premiums consistent with its disclosures. And I think some of its other notes, other than the 2023 notes, um, are basically less costly. So that's why I think you have the company sort of disclosing that it's going, you know, that it's assuming that it can pay down those notes, and the 2023 notes uh, will remain outstanding. Oh, okay. I got it now. It's an interesting situation for these uh, 2023 notes. I'll definitely be following the situation closely as it develops. Anyway, that's about it from us here at Reorg Research. Given the oppressive, given the oppressive heat outside and in this room where we're recording right now, we hope that you stay cool, you stay invested, and stay above par.